And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hang on a minute. Who put you in charge? And who the hell are you anyway? I'm the Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Castelbarus. I'm 903 years old, and I'm the man who's going to save your lives and all six billion people on the planet below. You got a problem with that? No. In that case, I'll all see. Would you like a jelly baby? Episode number 12, Who True Freaks, the only podcast put out by Demon's Core family of podcasts that deals with a time-traveling hero that isn't Dottore Nebiaja del Tempo in Unos Catola Blue. Try and figure that out. My name is Sean Engel, and I'm not only your English, but now Italian mangling host, but I'm also here to introduce the episode that we're looking at today, the 20th anniversary serial, The Five Doctors. But I'm also here to introduce the various other podcasting hosts who greatly cover for my so many, many inadequacies. Starting off today, we've got the host of Flash Legacies over at flashlegacies.com, Mr. Dave Walker. Hey, Dave, how's it going today? Not too bad. How's everything over there? It is awesome over here. Uh, next, we have my co-host over at the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror and birthday boy of a few days late, Mr. Chris Hair Metal Hero Tyler. Chris, how's it going? Uh, I'm trying to get this silver uh, unitard off. Um, it's kind of tight. <laughs> Keep the face mask on. It helps. Uh, next up, we have the second member of your United Kingdom contingent, uh, host of Hey Kids Comics, along with his son, Michael, Mr. Andrew Leyland. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Welcome back to the show. Joining us from sunny Florida, or as I like to call it, America's Wang, we have the co-host of Avengers Spotlight, Back to the Bins, and Walking Dead Wednesday, Mr. Bill Robinson. Hello, Bill, or William. Hello. I am Dr. Barusa today. And you will doubt you will bow down before me, podcasters, podcasters, you and someday your heirs. And I just totally buggered that up. So that's okay. <clears throat> also heading from the Sunshine State, we have the Irredeemable One, Shag. How's it going today, Shag? 
Not the mind probe. <laughs> uh, it's better than the other probe that we we're going to use. And going back, <laughs> going back across the pond, we're joined by the host of the Fantastic Cast with Andy and 20-Minute Longbox by himself, Mr. Stephen Lacey. Hello, Stephen. So you're my replacements. <laughs> a dandy and a clown and a northerner and an Irishman and whatever the fuck Shag is. How disappointing. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> if you came later, it just means we get bigger budget. <laughs> and rounding out this sausage fest of Doctor Who fans is the host of Better in the Dark and author of Shadow Legion New Roads to Hell, Mr. Thomas DJ. How's it going, Thomas? Just a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Delicious Delicious Wrap. Woman, get out of that freaking bubble wrap! <laughs> Look, there are lots of things I'd like to see you dressed up, but not as that. Thank you. Sorry nice. about that. Radio's call. And uh, as I've said before in the opening, uh, yes, it's not a serial. Thank you, Andy. It was a uh, was it a was it broken up into four episodes or was it initially released as one just long form show? It uh, was well, a I didn't contradict Go you. <laughs> Go ahead, Andy. Uh, it was originally a ninety minute episode that was broken up into four parts somewhere along the line, but it wasn't me that that stomped on you. No problem. That'd be pedantic, uh, Stephen, not me. <laughs> yeah, we we've come to expect that, but yeah, uh, uh, I agree. You know this this did this did come out uh, as a ninety part or as a ninety minute uh, single form. Uh, I guess like long form movie. Would that be what we'd call it? Or feature length episode, I guess. Okay, but uh, yeah, we're looking at the five doctors, and uh, uh, if everyone's okay with it i will go ahead and start off uh, with a synopsis then we can get into our conversation with it that's cool and i will expect the the silence is you know a taciturn uh, comment for me to go on with it so, uh, all I right any silence well you turn around you'll see him again and then you'll forget about him anyhow the Five Doctors was the 20th anniversary special of Doctor Who, which aired in the United States on November 23rd of 1983, and then uh, contrarily two days later on the 25th in the UK. It was written by Terence Diggs, directed by Peter Moffat, edited by Eric Soward, produced by John Nathan Turner. The cast included Richard Her Herndl, Patrick Trotton, John Pertwee, Tom Baker, sort of, and Peter Davidson as the first of the fifth Doctor. It also starred Janet Fielding as Tegan, Mark Striction as Turlow, Carol Ann Ford as Susan, Nicholas Courtney as Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart, Elizabeth Sladen as Sarah Jane, Anthony Ailey as the Master. <laughs> I hate you so much. Philip Latham as Barusa, Diana Sheridan as Flavia, and Paul Jericho as the Castellan. Deciding to take a break from the whole time traveling through time and space thing, the Doctor and companions Tegan and Turlow stop at a planet near the Eye of Orion to chillax and do some sketching. However, this relaxation session is cut short as the Doctor feels sudden pains as if parts were being ripped from him. We cut to the various former incarnations of the Doctor who are all being seized from their timelines, either by a black triangle or a giant digital Hershey's kiss. The first Doctor is taken away while strolling through a garden, the second while he and the Brigadier are preparing to celebrate the Brig's retirement, the third while tooling around with Bessie, his tricked-out Ford Model T, and the fourth while appearing in a scene from the unreleased episode, Shada. Along the way, former companions like Sarah Jane Smith and Susan Foreman are, being, are also being whisked away by the shiny digital confection. 
While all these abductions are being made, an unseen figure is placing action figures of the captive characters on a lighted table around the tomb of the of a bottle of the tomb of Rassilon, one of the greatest leaders of the Time Lords. Knowing that he has to help his former selves, the Fifth Doctor and his companions enter the TARDIS and set course for the heart of the sun. Wait, wait, no, I'm sorry, I was listening to Pink Floyd when I made this synopsis. In all actuality, the TARDIS lands where the rest of the Doctors, minus the fourth one, have been taken. The Death Zone on Gallifrey. Meanwhile, in the capital on Gallifrey, President Barusa, Chancellor Flavia, and the Castellan have decided to send the Master into the Death Zone to assist the Doctors since whoever is using the Time Scoop is draining the Eye of Harmony and endangering the planet Gallifrey as a whole. The Master finds the whole situation a little ironic, like rain on your wedding day, that he would be the one who would have to save the Doctor. The Council sweetens the deal by offering him a new set of regenerations, a super special transmat beacon, and the seal of the Council to convince the Doctor as they transport the Master into the Death Zone. In said zone, the various versions of the Doctor are making their way into the Tomb of Rassilon. The second Doctor enters the tomb from below, and he and the Brig are beset, beset upon by the Yeti and visions of former companions Zoe and Jamie. The third Doctor and Sarah zip line across the chasm to the top of the tower after tricking the Cybermen, the Cybermen that were pursuing them into getting speared by the faceless ballet bot who kills its foes with deadly spikes and creepy interpretive dance. The first Doctor and Tegan make it to the main entrance, but are confronted by the Master, the Cybermen he was assisting, and a tile floor with activated overhead lasers. Shockingly, in a move that no one could have ever expected, the Master betrays the Cyberman and gets them all killed on the chessboard of death, leaving the Doctor and Tegan unable to reach the tomb. Of course, the Master left a riddle that allows the Doctor to find a safe path across the death tiles, and he and Tegan head in to meet their, his other selves in the tomb. While all this was going on, the fifth Doctor had taken the Master's transmat recall device and beamed back to the Council Chamber, where he uncovers a conspiracy within the Council. Initially, it looks like the Castellan is responsible for capturing the Doctors and placing them into the Death Zone, but when he's taken away for questioning, he's conveniently killed by the guards. The fifth Doctor continues to investigate and discovers that... Wait for it... It was President Barusa behind it all along. He confronts Barusa, but gets mind-controlled by the Coronet of Rassilon, whatever that is, and transmitted to the tomb where the other versions of the Doctor have translated the inscriptions on the tomb. It seems that Rassilon had discovered the secret to immortality, and anyone who could make it to his burial chamber would be able to claim that prize for themselves. In taking the ring from the cold dead hand of one of the greatest Time Lords, Barusa demands that Rassilon grant him the gift of immortality, which he does by transforming into one of the stone faces decorating the side of his shrine. Crisis averted, the doctors say their goodbyes and are transported back to their respective places in time, via either the TARDIS or the Time Scoop, depending upon which version you're watching. Coming in to mop up the mess, Chancellor Flavia arrives with guards to find out what was going on. Seeing that Barusa is missing and that Gallifrey is in need of a new president, Flavia says that the High Council has appointed the doctor as the new president at Barusa's steed. The Doctor is flattered and tells Flavia to meet him back at the capital and that she has full powers until he gets there. Of course, the Doctor has no intentions on ever coming back, and as a concerned Tegan asks if he intends to go on the run from his own people in a rickety old TARDIS, the Doctor replies, Why not? After all, that's how it all started. And despite all the interruptions that I kept hearing in the Skype chat, uh, that is the uh, synopsis for the five Doctors. Gentlemen, how do you want to approach this? Sideways. That works too. On a zip line. <laughs> no, that no, no zip line. 
That was the that most boring part of the whole show. That doesn't go down. <laughs> yeah, the zipline thing, I think that was just another way to get uh, the John Pertwee character something action need to do. So, But if you notice, Sarah Jane's a... the one who has to do all the stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> John Pertwee <laughs> just sat back on set, ate sandwiches, and watched her do all the stunts. What, like fall down a... a, a... A ditch that had an incline of what about 10, 10 degrees? <laughs> just just stand up, woman. Up. <laughs> for the dangerous... up, that was the first episode of cliffhanger. <laughs> well, they call that more of a slow. They call that more of a slope hanger, really. Uh, <laughs> yeah, apparently uh, that was not originally intended. It was going to be a scene with the autons, and he zipped in with Bessie and saved her. But they cut that scene to save money, and instead they just rolled her down a gentle hill. <laughs> Yeah, Sarah Jane was complete. That was one of the things that I was really irked about in this show is that Sarah Jane was completely minimalized. She was just so unlike her character in previous episodes. She was just the the the, the screaming woman that the doctor had to take care of and save. It it really belittled her character, and that kind of annoyed me about this show. Now, this, is, this I was going to say this is my my really my first introduction to Pertwee, and uh, I was not impressed. So. Sure, sure. <laughs> now, not to go too much into the behind-the-scenes stuff, but to be fair, um, this story is originally supposed to be written by Robert Holmes, and he couldn't pull a story together, so it was given to Terrence Dix, and he wrote it sort of at the last minute. And if you listen to his incredibly boring commentary on one of the discs, he actually apologizes several times throughout it, basically saying he was forced to write this in a very um, short time period and under a lot of tough circumstances so even he reckon even the writer recognizes there was some weak sauce so in here sarah jane's a very good example of that <clears throat> my question keeping the, taking that into account is this then how much of this is really terrence dick's vision and how much of this is terrence dick's vision filtered through eric sour going you know what would be cool everything we had with a the dancing cyber- ballet robot everything with the cybermen was apparently Eric Soward. He he bitches throughout the whole commentary scene. Like every time there'd be a Cyberman show up, he goes, "Damn it, Soward! He was in love with the Cybermen." So there was very very little Cybermen in the story originally. But there was no Daleks originally either. Terence mentions that he put the Dalek scene in, and the Raston robot thing was Soward's idea. In that they needed something that made it look a bit more exciting when they were trying to get through. Sir and Pertwee were trying to get up to the tower. So they added the Raston robot at the last minute. Because I thought that audio commentary was actually quite good, to be honest with you. I like the Peter Davison stuff. But he's talking about, um, we need something exciting and dynamic and cheap. And that's where the Raston robot came from. I will always have time for a commentary where somebody apologizes for their bad work. (laughs) So you listen to the Batman and Robin commentary. Oh, I love the Batman and Robin commentary, Chris. Maybe I'm being too uh, harsh on it, Andy. I just I felt like other than a, a few gems from um, from from uh, Terrence Dix about the story, I just felt like it was them two guys watching a movie together that like almost neither one had seen. Is kind of what it felt yeah, like. Yeah, I got the impression that Davison was more familiar with the TV cut because he would que- he would keep referencing things that aren't in or are slightly different in the extended version that's on the DVD as well. So, because when they're firing the Raston robot, they make a big deal about the Cybermen are useless and they don't get any shots off. And then in the extended version, they have changed it so the Cybermen do get a couple of shots off against the robot. And Davison was like, oh, I must have been wrong about that. So I do wonder when he did his homework before they recorded the commentary, did he watch the other version? 
because Davison, to be to his credit, Davison seems very familiar with the history of the show, not just him. He knew lots of stuff. And I, I do actually find him a lot more interesting than Terence. If you watch the special features on the DVD, Terence doesn't really say anything in that commentary. He doesn't say in the documentaries that are a lot less long and a lot less dull. Ah. But Davison's very funny. Davison's got a very dry wit to him. And I didn't think he got to talk too much in that one. But I'm now interested in exploring a lot more of Peter Davison's audio commentaries because he came across as really fun. Yeah, he's he he is a funny guy. I mean, he's got like you said a good real uh, dry wit that works really well. But it just I, as much as I enjoyed listening to him crack jokes, I just didn't feel like it was adding anything. So no, the, if, the, the, the Raston Warrior Robot, like as a kid, I thought that was like so cool. I was totally into that character. I thought it was a neat idea. And as I've gotten older now, it's just kind of like yeah. In fact, when we recorded the Earthshot commentary a while back, right, our episode. I, I, one of us mentioned the Raston Warrior robot looked a lot like the androids in Earthshock. Well, it turns out they're just repaints of those robots. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it makes even more sense if Eric Soward said, throw something in, and oh, by the way, use something from my episode, Earthshock. Um, right. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, sorry, my favorite person. Where were you going with that, Andy? Uh, no, I was just saying the the Raston, considering it was last minute, no budget, I thought the Raston robot stuff was quite impressive. If you watch the special edition version, which I have a few problems with, but we'll, we're going to do a comparison later, they've actually tidied up all the editing as well. So he's disappearing and reappearing actually looks a lot better. But it's one of those, when you're watching it, you think, actually, this is, this is quite good. And then watching the audio commentaries kind of ruined it for me because Terence is going, we had no money for that bit, so that looks crap. Right. And once pointed out to you, like the bit where um, he gets grabbed by the, the brigadier gets grabbed by the Cyberman through the hole in the wall, was supposed to be a big full-on attack, and they didn't have any money. So it became a Cyberman hole. And you're looking at it going, yeah, that is a bit crap now that he's pointed it out. And there was a bit of me that wished I hadn't listened to the audio commentary then. Yeah, I see what you mean. It does sort of cheat and make you feel like there's less to it. Yeah, yeah like, because like, I'm you... really missing that Auton scene now with Sarah Jane. Yeah. I, like, I yeah, now that. He's mentioned all the stuff that was possible in there. And you're like, oh, come on, BBC. I'm sure you could have spent a bit more money on the 20th anniversary, especially since you got Australian funding to co-produce it. And it's, it was you're good. used to Doctor Who being threadbare most of the time. But when you've got somebody there pointing out just how threadbare this is, you're going, <laughs> oh, yeah, that kind of ruins it a bit for me. Oh, sure. Was Tarrant. this budgeted separately from the... I think this this ran during the second Davison series, if I remember correctly. It, this it's, was in, uh, in between the two. After this okay. was second, before it's third. Uh, it's lumped back in with his second series, but it heard as a special one-off. And was it budgeted? Has part, oh, I'm sorry, Stephen. Go ahead. Saying it's lumped in with the second Davidson series, unless you're buying a show for an international showing. So you go, right, well, I want to show all the Davidson stuff. You have to pay for it separately. Okay. If you, and if you don't know that, you don't get it. Was it budgeted separately or has part of that season? That's the question I want to have. Uh, I don't oh, know. Who knows that? Yeah, they mentioned that the Australian funding was specific to that episode. Yeah, and the $60,000 Australian to help. Wow, that paid for a couple of actors, probably. And um, <laughs> it does, they do mention. Or Jamie! Yes, we can bring back Jamie and Liz Shaw for that. And they do mention that the, they didn't get credited for contributing this money. And I'm wondering, how the hell did you pull that off then? But did Australia show it first? Was that the deal? I think it, no, was. it was. The deal was they wouldn't get credited for it. Um, so, and except when it was shown in the 90s. It was only shown outside the UK 
uh, in America before we saw it in the UK. Let that just on the twenty third. Let that sink in for a second. It showed in North America on November twenty third, the twentieth anniversary, and England didn't get it till November twenty fifth. That's yeah. why. But yeah. one uh, the, 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 the thing that Doctor Who is is very self is 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 very embrained. So showing it as part of children in need was fine. And let's remember there was no internet or any of that bullshit back then. So we probably didn't even know or care that he'd heard in America first at that point. I know I certainly didn't give a shit when I sat down to watch it as a ten year old. Oh, we were bragging about it over here. I, I remember watching this as it aired on November 23rd, and we're all like, woo, we're seeing it before the England people. We're first, America first, all that kind of nonsense. And to just respond to that, it was shown on PBS, which can basically make up its own schedule to do whatever it wants to do. Um, whereas here, it would have been shown on a Wednesday night had it been shown on the 23rd. There is no way the BBC, at any point in the original run, would have shuffled around the midweek schedule to accommodate a one-hour, 40-minute uh, special episode of a show no way at all whereas because it was shown in children in need during the early years of children in need where they could actually devote an hour and a half to something as opposed to little two minute stints here and there so they can cut back to more of fern cotton being as idiotic as she can be on national tv you know there, there's no way it would have happened on the 23rd i still maintain if the 23rd of november didn't fall on a saturday this year we wouldn't get the day of the doctor on the anniversary you're absolutely correct Tuesday, about that they wouldn't have bothered they would have waited until the weekend Absolutely correct. So, so well, should we address the uh, the fact that this is basically a five pound story stuffed into a twenty pound bag? Hmm. <clears throat> Where the hell did that metaphor come from? I'm talking about pound. Oh, well, that's right. Okay, you're thinking pounds is <laughs> uh, a five kilo story lost in a twenty kilo bag. It's not much of a story, to be honest. That's what I'm saying. I think that's what he means. <laughs> yeah. So we're following the right path, then. There's no miscommunication. Yeah. No. There isn't a lot of a story. The, the doctors all show up and all poddle around on their own for a bit because they were terrified there would be a clash of egos before they all come together at the end. One of the great things on the DVD, did anyone watch the special features on the DVD? There's some brilliant behind-the-scenes footage of John Pertwee being an arse when somebody flubs a line. It's absolutely fantastic. Poor Richard Erdnall keeps coming in early and saying his line before Pertwee. And Pertwee just keeps mercilessly cutting the guy off at the knees. No, 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 no. It's my line first. And you're like, shut up, John. Let the poor old guy do what he's doing. Does it really matter if your line comes was, third? No. It was really good, though. Yeah, that's oh, yeah, what I was saying. He's excellent in the show, but he looks yeah. like he's a nightmare to work with. No, I'm talking about Herndell. Oh, Richard Herndell's fine. He's not William Hartnell, mm. but... Again, no DVDs, no videos, no reruns. Back then, we probably didn't even notice. I know I didn't. Well, apart from the bit where they showed uh, one of Hartnell's best acting moments before the story begins. Yeah, I, did, I think that may have done him a bit of a disservice, mm. actually having Hartnell in it. But the other side of that is it's nice that Hartnell's in it. Well, it's such an amazing quote to start the show off with as a, as a tribute to him, a tribute to the series. It's like and it's reappeared so many times in various things since then. I think it's I love that bit with Hartnell at the beginning. Absolutely love it. Well, and it's kind of weird that they, you know, since this show is kind of it, it's supposed to be a 20th anniversary of celebrating the show. But and it starts out with that brilliant quote, but then it goes on to just be a sort of mediocre episode with just a bunch of plot lines converging to one sort of 
not really all that satisfying ending. Uh, I, I kind of agree with you, Thomas. It it was a very threadbare, thin plot that was just basically, how do we get the five doctors together? Oh, well, we'll all have them come to this one place and we'll all have them do separate things. So, yeah, I I, I agree with you. Not, not the I love best how there, there's suddenly, it, it seems like every time we come back to, to Gallifrey, there's something new on Gallifrey that we never knew about until then. Like what? Yeah, it's in the middle of the death zone. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> and the black scrolls. <laughs> I, they... I did like how they, they painted Rassilon as a bastard. I liked that. That was kind of new at the time. <laughs> He's a bit of a dick. Just a bit. <laughs> he probably used black ink on the black scrolls just to mess with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and it probably actually on the black scroll, it probably offers a reward of something nice like cupcakes. Ooh. But because nobody The cupcakes of immortality <laughs> Those would be the cupcakes of Rassilon Thank you very much That's true Yeah, everything, everything I want the, the cupcakes of immortality Well you know he was a dick Because everything is named with his You know has his name in it mm. That is the chair of Rassilon That is the fork of Rassilon That is the heart of Rassilon That is the Guinness of Rassilon That's my Guinness he looks like a Guinness drinker. Bootleg Brian Blessed. <laughs> oh, how much better would it have been with Brian Blessed there? Everything's no, better no, with Brian Blessed. Oh, you no, want yeah. to be immortal, no, eh? No. 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 I think no, you broke no. Stephen. I agree. Everything's better with Brian Blessed. No. Absolutely true. Even episode one. We're going to disagree. I'm so on that. sorry. <laughs> All right, since we're bashing on John Pertwee, a couple other things. Um, uh, during the DVD commentary, one of the things that was fun to learn was when when Sarah Jane goes, "You turned all teeth and curls." That bit there, mm, yeah, that was all his. That was all her line. Yeah, he spilled her line, didn't he? Yeah, which makes sense because how would he know he became teeth and curls? He wouldn't know that. All she did was point <laughs> to her teeth and her hair. That, uh, well, it's a, I, do, I do think Sarah being paired with Pertwee ultimately hurts Sarah's character because originally Terence goes on about the original script, doesn't he, Chag, in the, in the commentary? And he mentions Sarah Jane should have been paired with Tom, obviously. And Tom was the one who ended up going to the Tower rather than the Fifth Doctor. Gallifrey. So, yeah, sorry, it goes back to Gallifrey. So I think Sarah would have been better serviced had she been with Tom. And cue all your gags about servicing Surrey Jane. Let's get him out of the way now. Oh, you son of a bitch. I was going to do it too. <laughs> well, let's be fair, though. Like, if you, if, if, not the gags, but if, if she was with Tom Baker, is he really any less easier to act around? I, mean, I get the impression Liz Sladen liked Tom better than John Pertwee. She's far too classy to have ever come out and said that. But, you know, when she's done these extra interviews on the DVDs, I yeah. just get the impression. She got on better with Tom, and yeah. certainly her reaction to the fifth, the twentieth anniversary photos with the waxwork dummy of Tom. Mm -hmm. She's very down on that. She really thinks that's disrespectful and didn't approve of it. And she says she basically showed up, did her one photo, and left. And I get the feeling I don't think Tom's any easier than Pertwee by any stretch of the imagination. But I think Liz got on better with Tom. I don't know yeah, why. A documentary on, I want to say, The Hand of Fear, which is kind of like the retrospective of Elizabeth Sladen's you know, uh, career with Doctor Who. And she talks about how that, that one season, 
Pertwee was kind of standoffish with her because he was very fond of Katie Manning. He was very fond of Robert Delgado when they were all gone. And he kind of treated, he didn't treat her with disrespect, but he was just very, very cold towards her. Mm. Well, Louise Jameson said the same thing about Tom Baker after Elizabeth Sladen left. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is just a companion thing. I don't know. Yeah, at that point, Tom Baker wanted a talking cabbage instead of uh, Louise Jameson. So, um, one more uh, John Pertwee thing worth mentioning. It's uh, and this is apparently another thing we learned from the commentary that Terrence Dix did this sort of on purpose. The master becoming a total dick <laughs> is all because John Pertwee's an ass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the master, the master, yeah. The master's all set up to help, right? And then because the third doctor refuses to believe him, the master betrays them all. And apparently Terrence Dix put that in the script on purpose because John Pertwee <laughs> was so difficult to work with that he wanted to show John Pertwee's doctor being difficult to work with as well. I loved Peter Davison's reaction to that in the commentary. I was like, oh, really? I'm like, did you ever do anything like that to me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, people like Peter Davison. Yeah, well, he, he does say that of all the doctors he worked with, Peter Davison and Patrick Troughton were the only ones that acted. Oh, said wow. essentially, Pertwee played himself, Tom Baker played himself, Davison and Troughton played a character. Mm-hmm. And Patrick Troughton in this is fantastic. I love Troughton in this. He is good. He is absolutely good. Yeah, he's yeah. got some great lines. He's got some the, the terrible Zodin. I mean, all this wonderful, you know, uh, my, my replacement wasn't very promising either. You've redecorated, don't like it. I mean, it was just... He was so much fun in this. Yeah, well, I have to admit, uh, like I said, the reason behind me doing the show is the fact that there are some Doctor Who episodes I haven't seen, and a lot of them are Trotten ones. And now after rewatching this and, and giving it a second viewing, I really want to get into some more Trotten ones. And if I hope that uh, the two episodes that they released that we talked about, uh, The End of the World and uh, Web of Fear, or The Enemy of the World and Web of Fear, come out on DVD, I'm going to get those because I want to see those. You know, iTunes is nice, but, you know, I, I want to play him on something other than my iPhone. So, but yeah, the Trotten was great in this. I thought he was the, actually the standout character, you know, kind of, you know, obviously Davidson was supposed to be the one who was the main person because he was the current doctor, but Trotten really pulled in a great role. I thought he was awesome. Agreed. Now, uh, Herndall, the, <laughs> he was okay as a replacement obviously they couldn't have gotten uh the first doctor to come into play but uh, what do we think about his role what do we think about his take on the do-, do we think that he adequately portrayed the first doctor or were there some things out of there that were just out of the ordinary it, it was obviously a uh interpretation of the first doctor from the later half of hartnell's run where he was much more kind of like an eccentric granddaddy as opposed to the king of maliciousness but that's fine because that's what he's supposed to be. The uh, novelization suggests that he's taken not long before his regeneration. And the fact that he hasn't seen Susan for ages suggests mm-hmm. that we're looking at season three onwards. So, yeah, I'm cool with that. Well, I, I thought I thought he was fine. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I, I, thought I thought he was fine, too. Okay. As a kid, I was as a kid. I didn't take to him too much because mm-hmm. um, again, I mean, I was 11 years old when I saw it. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't like him that much. I felt like, oh, I didn't think it was cool to be putting a, a, a stand-in actor in there, even though I've been watching the show all of six months. Um, right. But, you know, now as an adult watching, I, I think he does a fine job. One of the things I'd like to address is the fact that 
Tom Baker wasn't there and they had to call his presence from uh, from scenes from the unreleased episode Shada. Do we have any specific reason why he wasn't able to make it to this? Do we have he, word on that? He was, was going insane. Signed up to it, but the reason he gave for them sort of pulling out from it was that it was too soon. Mm-hmm. He'd only just left at the time they were playing it. He would have been gone about a year and a half. And he just thought it was too soon to return to it. Now, do we think uh, the show is better served by having those clips from Shada in there? Or yes. would it have been better with him just not being a part of the episode, with just having the, the first three Doctors and Davidson? No, I think not having Tom at all would have damaged the show. He was still, and still is, so embedded in people's minds as the Doctor. Even today, I think not having him at all would have hurt the show. And thankfully, they had those clips from an unseen episode that they could just slot in. Because without Tom in it, it's because it's, as it stands, it's really only the three and a half Doctors, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so not having Tom at all, I think, would have hurt the show. I, I, I agree. I think, it, I think the episode worked out better with just having that scene from Shudder and that's it. I think if you'd have actually had Tom Baker in the Death Zone as well, you know, there's a lot of running around with just the three doctors to get uh, in there to give them something to do whilst Pete Davidson's off and Gallifrey doing his stuff. To add another doctor into the mix would have made it incredibly repetitive, far more than it is. Well, yeah, and the entire idea of them getting to the Tower of Rassilon is, you know, there are three entrances. With the fourth doctor there having to go do that, they make another one, and that's just another repeat of the entire idea of them making the epic, you know, sort of Lord of the Rings journey to... To yeah, get to between place. around the back and below mm-hmm. the Tower of Wrestling Wings. Yeah, it doesn't quite scan as well. And it also works better, you know, dramatically because you always have like the rule of three. You should repeat something only three times. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I. Unless you're family guy, in which case, repeat it uh, constantly for five minutes and hope someone laughs. No, it's not. Family guy's <laughs> never been funny. I, I stand that fact. Um, <clears throat> where do we want to take it next? Well, well I just, I, want, I I just want to make one. Okay, I just want to make one Go quick ahead, slam. Um, Go just, ahead. Tom Baker says it was too soon to return to the show. Uh, thank you, David Tennant, for not being the same. <laughs> um, sorry, he left at the end of 2009. It's four years. How is that different? How, how is that the same as, uh, as 18 months? It was 1983 versus him leaving in 1980. Yeah, that's when the episode came out, but they were planning to make it, and he said no about 18 months to two years after he left. Okay, a couple of months difference. I, I, I failed to see your point other than oh. unnecessary snark. Okay, thanks for that. Yeah. Thanks for your contribution. <laughs> I, I'd did, like to throw did, something out. Go on. Okay, um, there was there's a, this brief period in, in the, the special where you have like the first and the fifth doctor kind of switch off parts. Um, companions for a while. So you have Tegan hanging out with the first doctor and you've got uh, Susan hanging out with, uh, with, with Davison. I think it would have been more fun to have a little bit more switching up. Yeah, I think I agree entirely. I think that would have been a lot of fun to have a mix up with people that wouldn't normally associate with. And certainly that some of the funniest bits are the first doctors. It's rather sexist attitude to Tegan, which is hysterical. Don't make us coffee. Yeah, <laughs> go, go away, woman. Make us some tea and crumpets. And Tegan just looks at him, and Peter Davison steps in and goes, ah, 
cut him some slack. And I love that. So I thought that was brilliant. And I loved Peter Davison with Susan. I thought that was lovely. I, it kind of looks like a bit that maybe he fancies her a bit, which you could go <laughs> is maybe a little bit wrong. But, you know, yeah, really time wrong. Lord society may be different to us. Who knows? Well, it was kind of nice that he did, you know, when the doctor introduced her as his granddaughter, that he said, yes, I know. So uh, obviously he would. So it's a nice callback that they're continuing an idea that Susan is still the doctor's granddaughter. I, like I would that. like to at least give her a hug, though. Mm-hmm. He's not that hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there definitely was a creepy vibe, though. You're right about sort of like them liking each other. So I think you know maybe that's why they didn't hug. He was a little too nervous. He liked her too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. What did you think of the choice of companions? Well, they tried to bring in all. Well, they didn't try to bring in all, but they tried to bring in as many of the people as they could. It did kind of have that feel of, you know, a very special episode where we're getting the gang all back together by bringing in like uh, Zoe and Jamie in and then bringing in, oh, uh, Liz and yeah, Liz uh, Shaw Harry and yes, Harry Yates for the Mike third Yates. doctor. So it, it did kind of feel, you know, I liked the companions. Uh, they were good, but yeah, it did kind of have that feel of, you know, hey, it's a, it's a reunion episode. It's a special episode. So let's try and drag up as many people as we can who will show up on the show. So I don't My know. My only real problem with the companion choices, and I know why they did it, because they really, really wanted to have the Brigadier in it. But it would make more sense to me, rather than have Jamie be an illusion, to have him paired up with Trouton. But there was a practical element to that. Um, they didn't think they would be able to get him out of his um, commitments to an ongoing BBC, uh, not BBC, ITV soap called Emmerdale that he was in. They didn't think they were going to get him at all. Um, so the, the scene with him and Zoe is a, a last minute addition, but uh, they were able to put him in, but they would never have got him for more than the 10 minutes that it took to shoot that bit. It would have been hilarious if the scene tried to hit on Tegan. I think it would have <laughs> and, and the reason Zoe, by the way, in the scene with Jamie was dressed that way, she was pregnant and they were trying to hide the baby bump. That's why she was surrounded in bubble wrap. <laughs> I just thought because it was Doctor in the 80s, they just had a surfer of bubble wrap. She's got some line around the studio. Let's wrap Even a girl better, up in it. It's Doctor in the 80s doing an idea of Doctor Who future from the 60s. <laughs> with bubble wrap because there's nothing more futuristic than bubble wrap. Yeah. <laughs> Still nothing. <clears throat> Yeah, so when uh, they dropped the uh, Tegan and Sarah line, and there was anybody thinking about that band, they had to run <laughs> oh, yes. that. I, I started humming Hell, so that was that was. Awesome. I've never listened to them. But oh, they're fun. I doubt it. <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite delivered lines in the in this in the show comes from a scene I think Andy was just mentioned a moment ago about with Tegan and the Doctor and the First Doctor. It's not actually either the Tegan, the first doctor, or the fifth doctor. It's my favorite. My favorite is Turlo. The way he delivers the line when the doctor says, T- you know, Turlo, go help Tegan make the coffee. And he just slowly buttons his jacket and he looks at me and goes, thank you. So equivalently, <laughs> okay, he just said, what F the you, fuck was, Why didn't he just drop Turlo in a hole for all the good he was? <laughs> That's a whole discussion, okay. brother. Jack, doesn't, doesn't Dick say on the commentary, and I watched pretty much all the DVD, so I may be getting this wrong, doesn't he say the Turlo bit was added to appease whoever it is who plays Tegan? Oh, no. Peter so Davison steps in and says, I was a bit crotchety, let, just, just this once, let yeah. me be a bit of a sexist bastard. And sending Turlo off with her was, was appeasing her, the actress, wasn't it? Was that in the commentary? It, if it was, I missed it. But that's right. great to hear. That's great to hear. 
Now, granted, Turlo is probably one of the most useless companions ever, period. Why but, is he just as a schoolboy? I forget. Is there... Remember, he was a schoolboy when, right. when they found him. Right, right, even though he's clearly 50. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, okay, I have to say, in real life, he is one of the most fascinating people I've ever seen speak. He's, he's like the crocodile hunter. He's oh, unbelievable. I, I, I saw that clip. Of of there was a clip on the on the special edition DVD of him of him Janet Fielding and Peter Davison on like a kids show, and I was like so amazed at how really engaging he was mm-hmm. when he was just relaxing and being himself. Yeah, there is there's a there's an element of the Fifth Doctor's era where you think maybe he should have been more Peter Davison, the Doctor, and maybe they should have let Turlow be more Mark Strickson. Maybe they let Tegan Tegan be a little bit too much Janet Fielding. Who can say? <laughs> but certainly Davison is a lot funnier than his Doctor is, and I know John Nathan Turner was playing the humour down at this point, but I, I I find Peter Davison often more engaging than I find his Doctor. Mm-hmm. That's a valid point. And Mark Strickson is really now. I don't know what he was like when he was twenty or whatever, but nowadays he is just absolutely fascinating to listen to. Yeah, he's interesting on the the all the documentaries on the DVD. He's quite a fascinating fella. He keeps banging on about how he's never late for anything, yet he was frequently late for this shoot. And it's always the else's problem. There was a traffic jam, or he got stuck behind a cow in the middle of Wales or something. And it just does come across as no, Mark. I get the feeling you were late all the time. Well, if you were shoved into a thankless task and having to pretend to be a schoolboy when you're in your 20s, I'd want to be late all the time, too. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was, I'm sorry, Turla was a useless character. What was the reaction to the, the new console? Because remember, I was only 10 when they heard. I, actually, let me, before we start talking about reaction, didn't, didn't King's Demons air before this? Yes. And didn't King's Demons feature the new console also? Couldn't tell you. Actually, no, because this wasn't the new console. This is when it was first introduced. Well, they introduced it here, but I could have sworn... Maybe, maybe I've got myself mixed up. I thought that the console showed up in King's Demons and then was introduced here as if like they've been shown out over. There's about six months between the two, and it was built for the five Doctors, so... Okay. No. Alrighty. Right. Uh, reaction to it? Eh, it looks very 80s. <laughs> It's got a lot more things for him to press, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, again, he makes a big deal about in the audio commentary. He says he just loves you pressing buttons so that the, the, helping. Yeah, and so the guys in the dubbing stage would have to add in lots of beep, 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 beep and he'd do it really fast just to piss him off. <laughs> well, and didn't they have the addition of that wacky color monitor with the weird sort of Atari graphics on it. Well, is, isn't that another new addition to it? That, yeah. That, that makes it so an, very 80s. But sure, yeah, the, it's the future. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, they talk about it in the commentary and Davison kind of piss, pisses all over it now. But he says at the time it was pretty state-of-the-art. Mm-hmm. I thought this looked fine for the most part. Yeah, there's some cheap bits for it's Doctor Who in the 80s. But for the most part, I thought this, this held up quite well. I loved the the intro to the second Doctor and the Brigadier mm-hmm. was one of my favorite scenes in it. I thought that was fantastic. Oh yeah, the the look of the show, you know, despite it being it was very eighties and it was very Doctor Who, but you know the the cinematography and everything I thought was I thought was perfectly fine. You know, I don't have any I don't have any problems with that. Um, do we want to go into like differences between the original 
airing of this and the special edition. Was that something you wanted to talk about, Shag? Sure. Actually, um, I think Stephen was the one who had the idea for it. But yeah, let's let's do this. Okay, go ahead, Stephen. Don't look at me. I have nothing to do with it. I okay. meant to say, you really need to start um, distinguishing between me and Andy. Well, uh, it's it's difficult. Quite to different. You're you're Andy's the same the one person, we aren't like, you? and then there's you. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Andy. I think it was your idea, wasn't it? It could have been. I don't remember at this point, but I I did. I was the one who said, "Which one are we watching?" Yeah. And the general consensus came back. I think it was Sean who replied saying mm-hmm. his Netflix disc was the special edition. Yes. So I I've seen the TV version this that many times. I didn't really need to watch that one. So I watched the special edition, which I don't think I'd ever cracked open from the DVD. I think even when I bought the DVD, I watched the TV version. Uh, for the most part, it's recutted. See, recutted. I think that's a word. Look it up. It'll be in English somewhere. It's recut scenes, and they've added bits and pieces here and there, and they've changed the beginning so it starts in the tower with panoramic shots of corridors, because this is Doctor Who. One of the interesting things on the commentaries, although Davison doesn't seem to know which version he's watching, Terence Dix does make a point of pointing out all the differences between the TV version and the special edition. So that's quite interesting. The special effects, they've changed the time scoop thing, so that doesn't look as bad. Mm-hmm. As it did originally, they've they've changed the ending where the four Tardises disappear, where they, they all disappear back off into where they go. For the most part, I think I prefer the TV version because I'm not a big fan of special editionizing things for the sake of it. But I don't think it's awful. John Nathan Turner hated it. John Nathan Turner didn't like it at all. John Nathan Turner apparently said they've took an exciting 90-minute adventure and turned it into a plodding piece of tedium. So he's not a fan at all. I thought it was all right. What did you think if you watched the special edition? I didn't have a problem with it. The special effects, you know, especially for the time scoop, I guess that was nice. It was better than the big black spinning sort of uh, triangle that I recall from the original episode. Mm. I I will admit it makes more sense at the end where they're taken away by the time scoop rather than traveling away in their own individual TARDISes yeah. because they didn't come there in the TARDIS. But I, I actually I think I enjoyed it more that the uh, enjoyed the effect more of the TARDISes shifting off and going away to their different dimensions or their different timelines. Yeah. But it, it didn't it didn't bother me as special effects and uh, otherwise you know the show pretty much ran the same uh, you know ran the same course. There was a yeah. bit different there's music the, cues. The that big was about chain. It. Yeah, there's a couple of different music cues to to accommodate the longer scenes in some places. And Tom Baker's return is different. Mm-hmm. It's in not the special the... edition. They drop him right back off where they picked him off. He mm-hmm. appears back on the punt in um, in Oxford or wherever the hell they are. And uh, the idea behind that was the, that Sharda could still happen. Mm-hmm. Tom would go, oh, was, that was a bit weird. And then they would just carry on with what they were doing. Whereas in the TV version, it's him and Romana running into the TARDIS, isn't yep. it? Yeah, that's the, and, that's right. And he changes picture on the dial so it matches more it, i think it was all a bit pedantic fan stuff to be honest with you but it, it wasn't awful mm-hmm. I, I was fine with the tom baker change simply because i'm even as a kid i remember going well wait a minute why are they running into the tardis when they were just on a boat i didn't understand that so i i, I like the tom baker change i also thought the change to rassilon's voice was an improvement um but other than that i mean it's just like you said tweaking with special effects and it's and it's just kind of funny because it's like they thought they're making the special effects better, but now ten years on from the special edition, they still look really cheesy. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the, the it's just... lasers from the Cybermen, especially, look like early '90s laser effects. Yeah, it, I mean, the Rassilon robot stuff is nicer. I'll give them that. They've the way they edited it. 
yeah, they've cleaned up where he jumps into there and disappears. They've cleaned a lot of that up, and that does look better. Whereas in the TV version, you can clearly see there's a slight shift in the camera or whatever, in the colour or the air or whatever, when they were filming it. They've tidied all that up, and that looks a lot nicer. But a lot of it is just, we really wanted this scene of Peter Davison walking out of the TARDIS. And you're like, why? And we've added this extra five seconds of Patrick Troughton and the Brigadier walking away. And you, why? Yeah. A lot of it was stuff like that, that like I didn't care about anyway. Well, I, I, I read somewhere it added like 10 minutes to the show or something like that. Yeah, the, I can, the, under, I can understand where if that got under JNT's skin saying that yeah, it, it made the pace slower. The special edition's about 100 minutes, and the, the TV version's just a, a couple of seconds over 90. Is that right? Yeah, and, and it is all shots of the hall of the uh, Tomb of Rassilon. That's pretty much all the 10 <laughs> minutes are. So there yeah. you go. It's, I, didn't, I didn't agree with Nathan Turner that it's a plodding bore. No, but it's, it's not the definitive version that I get the feeling they wanted it to be. I've seen much go. slower episodes of Doctor Who than this. This one... This <laughs> one this this one moved on at a, at a decent pace and it was engaging. Yes, it was a very simple let's get the gang back together episode, but it was enjoyable. Mm. So do we have anything else that we want to talk about? Dave? Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. I'm sorry. Dave's no. not here, man. Okay. <laughs> what, did what we did you... <clears throat> Go ahead. Guys make of uh, Barusa's uh, heel turn. See, hmm. I wasn't familiar enough with the character, so... Okay. The problem is it's a whodunit with one of the world's <laughs> shortest list of who it could be. Yeah. And one of them gets killed off halfway through, so then you're left with only yeah. two possibles. And, yeah, and this... he's effectively had the same plot in terms of the Time Lord stuff in our Infinity at the start of uh, the 20th year, um, which is, oh, one of the High Council is a traitor, and you only see him in his black glove and stuff and boy Bruce has got a good fist hasn't he it emotes well <laughs> yeah um, it's, it's it's not uh, it's not an Agatha Christie murder there aren't really enough people there to really give you uh, you know a reason to care about you know who this person might be it's it's pretty simple it's one of three people so yeah that's disappointing was that the entirety of the inner council two people they've been depleted by the events of Ark of Infinity Okay. Ah, right. The one so got saw. around to, you know, they were still headhunting. They were between <laughs> second and third interviews. Uh, the absolute <laughs> test was still pending. They put a call in to Gallifrey HR. <laughs> and, well, apparently replacing the president doesn't take quite as long, though, does it? You! Yes. You're the president now! You'll do! <laughs> and what did you, what did you all think? Oh, I sorry, Def. Hmm? No, go on, Def. I was just saying they sent high council members as well into the death zone to try to sort things out. Is that <laughs> <laughs> that's well, probably it's, it's Councillor Flavia. She's gonna kick some ass. That's probably why they have so many, you know, so few councillors on the uh, Time Lord Council because they all kept getting sent off into that zone. Galifrian culture, not exactly the smartest culture in the world. Also, um, one assumes yeah, they sent these high council members in. Were they all on their twelfth? just before their final regeneration because otherwise they've had to have died many times over in short succession because it's like ah, oh, i got stabbed by the russian robot regenerate oh no i got the weird lightning thing from above ah oh, regenerate fuck steps to land like ah oh, regenerate oh nice mushrooms ah oh, regenerate <laughs> yeah, does it not break that... the cycle if you're killed whilst regenerating uh, is that not established somewhere i know it's but, done with the series i don't know if it was established back then 
if the Daleks can shoot you and you're going to regenerate, but the Daleks are too bad to be in the death zone, then nothing in the death zone is going to kill you and stop regeneration. Uh, Daleks get defeated by mirrors, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) It gentle pushes down a corridor. (laughs) Apparently a rock stupid Dalek. My intelligence is impaired. I cannot think. I will just keep firing until... There's a wonderful outtake on the DVD of they run away from him too fast and the Dalek actually says, Bugger, I have lost them. And it's hysterical. (laughs) (laughs) Is that more hysterical than the blind cyber leader? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who clearly sees the first Doctor and Tegan yet manages to completely ignore them. Yes. just the Cybermen in general, whether you're watching the special edition or not, this is the this is the worst Cyberman appearance ever. They're yeah, they worst. are quite lame, aren't they, in this episode? They're even worse when, when the Master makes his deal with them and they go away to have their private conversation where they're going to discuss that they're going to betray him. How far away from him are they? How definitely? It's like five feet. We have not heard that conversation. I wanted to hear the Ailey going, I can still hear you. <laughs> right. I'm absolutely stood there going, stood right here. The special edition removed one of the worst side members, which is when one of them comes across the master and the doctor talking, he goes, ah. Yeah, they got rid of that. <laughs> that out. Um, but you can say, didn't the uh, CGI out the uh, genes? Did they not? <laughs> uh, so, uh, it, when the cyber arm grabs the brigadier, you can actually see that the Cyberman behind the wall is wearing jeans. Jeez. <laughs> oh, it was casual like in the death zone. Jeans. They are <laughs> casual. Right. It's it's casual Fridays in the death zone, Cyber Leader. What did you think about it? Because I, I never really liked Anthony Ainley as the master. He was all right, but he never really grew on. My contention about Ainley has always been that first, those first three stories that he was in, the, the three stories I like to refer to loosely as the Return of the Master trilogy. He is genuinely scary. And then he becomes a pantomime pirate. He kind of becomes a Scooby-Doo villain. If you can can accept him as the mustache-twirling, you know, tying the girl to the train tracks kind of villain by this point, he's fine. If you can just accept him as that, like, boy, he had a bad regeneration. And this is what he got us stuck with. You know, it's a... uh, then if you can accept that, then he's perfectly fine. But he's not menacing by any means. No, he's he's over-the-top, melodramatic, funny. Yeah, he, And an he, abject he, coward, according to Peter Davison, when it comes to special effects. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> he won't stand anywhere near anywhere there's going to be an explosion. He didn't do any of his own stuff. There's a bit where he has to throw himself away from an explosion. And Davison said they both got hit by the shrapnel, which essentially was polystyrene rock. And Ainley made such a big deal of being hit by polystyrene rock. Oh, is that when... Uh, yes, just after they've been talking in the death zone. And there's a yeah. where goes off and knocks them down. Peter Davis is quite close to it. And the master is miles away. And I said, oh, oh uh, explosion, I fall down acting. Yes, that was the bit he was talking about on the commentary. He said Ainley was just complete coward when it comes to special effects. Or the scene where he's running away from the Cybermen firing at him, and uh, it's obviously not Ainley, do- Ainsley doing yeah, it. There's a brilliant bit on the commentary. Davison just dead and says, do you know, I don't think that's Anthony Ainley running away, though. Right. <laughs> and the way he delivers it is hysterical. Bill, you had something to say about the mastery. You wanted to get in. Oh, yeah, no, I... 
we kind of covered it earlier. The occasion. <laughs> <laughs> that he was kind of that he was starring as the Time Lord who cried Dalek that nobody believed him. But that you know, no, really, really, I'm from the council. Here, see this thing. Oh, obviously counterfeit. <laughs> Pertree throws it over. You know, almost like yeah, right. I'll just keep this. And then um, when he actually hails down the doctor, did he look like he was waiting for a cab? He's just standing there on the side of the road. <laughs> doctor, the doctor. <laughs> yeah, he looked like a low budget Dracula with that coat. With that... <laughs> I just realized. <laughs> I just realized. Go ahead, Steve. How, how can Battlefield take place? How can the end of Battlefield take place? They don't take Bessie back from the death zone, do they? Death, Bessie's still stuck out by the roadside in the death zone. What the hell was Sylvester McCoy riding around with at the end of Battlefield then? Rassilon sent Bessie back as well. He can do anything. Yes, he can. Yeah, Bessie had to go back. Otherwise, because like, I, I assume John Pertwee got lifted from the middle of his last season, not from the very last moment of his last season. So, Bessie, yeah, Bessie got returned. The, what's, your got, no prize explanation, what's your no prize explanation for Patrick Trout knowing what happens at the end of the war games? Season 6B! Season 6B. Thank six you, Steve. B. Okay, fair enough. Even though only Terrence Dix goes with that. Season 6B, just don't read any of his novels that feature it because they're shit. The, the, idea behind, Go on. <laughs> the idea behind Season 6B is that after the war games and just before Spearhead from Space, basically where Patrick Trotton's captured by the Time Lords, they're going to force him to regenerate. Instead of going immediately to the regeneration, they force that, that version of the Doctor to work for the Time Lords for a while, like a couple of years perhaps. And Patrick Trotton goes on all these extra missions for the Time Lords, which explains the two Doctors and the five Doctors and all this stuff. Right. And, um, and then, you know, eventually they have him regenerate. So oh, Okay, fair enough. Does he get a team together consisting of Leonard Nimoy? Um, <laughs> any of um, Yeah, thank you. No, but supposedly he does get Jamie and uh, Victoria back. Uh, well, they still, they still don't remember any of it at the end of it. Uh, well, there's a lot of debate of whether Jamie can remember stuff or not. Right. Okay, fair enough. They must have used the mind probe on him. <laughs> oh, the TVD shots, they've got an alternate take of that mind probe line, which is even worse than the one that's in the show. In terms of Jamie, if you read yeah. Grant Morrison written strip, The World Shapers, which revealed that the planet Mondas was actually the parent, planet Marinus and that the board turned into the Cybermen, Jamie does get his memories back, although he goes mad in the process and then dies to save the universe. Oh, oh and Mondas slash Marinus is planet 14 from the invasion. Don't you love it when they try and tie everything together? Yeah, it's definitely not one of Morrison's better efforts. So, does, so, so I, as someone, y'all were talking about the cloak. They make a good point of this, that uh, when the master transmats down to the death zone, he doesn't have a cloak on. And when he gets there, <laughs> apparently the transmat has a cloak dispenser. Uh, yeah. And he actually gets one. <laughs> it's like one of those automated toilet paper rolls. The... <laughs> he went on the bat pole. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we got to the death zone. There's a big pool. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking especially appropriate clothing. Why does the second doctor, when he thinks he's only going for a quick drink in Hampshire somewhere in the middle of autumn, have a massive fur coat on that would be really appropriate for a desolate building? Awesome. Yeah, because the fur coat is pimp. Let's just let's just say it. (laughs) Does anyone else have fun going? Oh, that's the running bit from. the name of the doctor. Oh, that's John Pertwee checking the mirror. Clara's in the reflection. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
and realising that actually, basically, the people behind that episode only watched the Five Doctors and nicked everything from there. <laughs> so hey, speaking then, of Dragonfire, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's just Dragonfire because it didn't happen yet. Not everything was pinched from Five Doctors. Going so, back to oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Bill. Going back to coat coats for a second. Anybody notice that the only person that left their coat was Sarah Jane? Thank <laughs> goodness. That, that's that looked horrible. <laughs> Exactly. She had yeah, mittens. Right she had mittens attached to that coat too. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> yes, I Dave's right. That, that raincoat looked terrible. Yeah, the reason K nine was warning her to go out wasn't because he was sensing danger from you know her being captured by the time scoop. It was because of that awful, yeah. awful outfit. Mistress, was... your fashion sense is terrible. <laughs> you my must wife... accessorize, mistress. <laughs> my, my wife was in the room while I was watching this. She had absolutely no interest in it. She was reading her iPad. Anyway, she looks up at that moment and she goes, oh, God, what is Sarah Jane wearing? <laughs> I was like, well, there you have it. <laughs> Again, marginalizing Sarah Jane in this episode. It was it, it irked me. Well, d- OK, we're kind of wrapping this up. Do we have any last thoughts about this? How how well, do we look at this? Go I, ahead, Shag. I wanted to hit sort of merchandise spinoffy kind of things real quick. Yeah. Uh, it's real brief. Um there was a lot of art prints that came out around this time, and, and some of it wasn't necessarily tied to the 20th anniversary. Like when the when the VHS would come out a few years later, uh, Andrew, I can never say his name, like Skeletor, Skeletor. yeah, Skeletor. did did some artwork for Skeletor. it. And they would, there you go. Uh, they would turn. Thank you. They would turn that into an art <laughs> print, jigsaw puzzles, all kinds of stuff. Um, the the big piece I remember that came out at the, around the same time as the 20th anniversary was the novelization from Target, and it had this silver foil reflective cover, which you know sort of uh, foreshadowed where the comic book industry was going to go. Can but, I correct you slightly? It came out before the uh, episode. Did it really? Yep, okay. it, it hit the stands uh, before the episode was released, so you could actually read about it before you saw it. Much like with the 96 telly movie. Did you read it ahead of time? Uh, well, I was only about five months old when the episode came out. So no, no, I didn't read it. <laughs> okay. Just checking. <laughs> I'd already gone past target level reading by that stage. Well, sure. Of course. I don't uh, think I was even conceived at this point. So you, you saw that same sort of uh, stuff re- when they would do the, the VHS tapes and everything. They had the art cover. So you'd get prints, you get jigsaw puzzles, lots of various knickknacky type things. But surprisingly, you know, you would think there were, I don't know, action figures or whatever. None of that would come out. Um, the big things that you see repeated over and over are the VHS DVD laser discs released. There was the original, then there was uh, a re-release w- uh, with the King's demons. Then there, I didn't even know until today there was a laser disc edition of this film. That, that would be fun to watch. I think. Then there was the 1995. That's when 1995 is when they started doing the special editions. So that's why, as Andrew and I were saying, the special effects look very 90s. Well, there's a good reason for it. Then I guess there's the 25th anniversary, uh, 25th anniversary release in 2008. Is that the one you've got, Andrew? Uh, hold on. Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Uh, the 25th anniversary edition is the one I've got. Yeah, two disc edition. Apparently, there is an Easter egg on disc one. You have to look up. Oh, it's the there. David Tennant commentary. Yeah, yeah. It's really quite fun. David Tennant and Phil Collinson talking about the five doctors. Yeah, that's a good little Easter egg that I like that a lot. Do they go through the whole show or do they yes, just they do a full 90 minute commentary? Oh, that's hilarious. That has got to be fantastic. Um, the other big thing that's worth mentioning that's really the, the only big spin off of this, and it's highly, I highly recommend it for fun, was an audio from Big Finish called The Five Companions. And the idea was that when. Barusa was kidnapping a bunch of companions and stuff. 
there's a bunch that he kidnapped that got put over in this other room, other area. And so in another area connected to all this is Ian Chesterton, Stephen Taylor, Sarah Kingdom, Polly, Nyssa, some Daleks, and some Centaurans. So all these folks that didn't make it into the five doctors, but were still companions, were still around, are over in this other area. And when Peter Davison transmats, when you know he takes a little transmat device and says, you know, mustache, he apparently goes to the alternate Destone where they are and has a little adventure with them. And it's it's wonderful. I mean, it's it's campy and silly, but it I mean, I was so I was smiling through the whole thing because it was like another, you know, lost episode from The Five Doctors. It's so much fun. It's called The Five Companions from Big Finish. I recommend it for fun if you like The Five Doctors. So that was the Game of Rassilon expansion pack then. It's exactly <laughs> what it was. It's exactly what it was. <laughs> Should be uh, pointed out that they went back to the death zone in Zagreus. Oh, Lord, I forgot. I blocked that out. Um, where Charlie and the fifth, sixth, and seventh doctors, but in their sort of alternate personas for the play, end up in the death zone and have to go to the Tower of Rassilon. And there's lots of tedious bullshit with Alice in Wonderland because the people who wrote that play really liked Alice in Wonderland and wanted us to be uh, have it forced down our throats. Uh, the Rustin robot and the Eye of Harmony appears in the fifth Doctor sequence in the eight Doctors. Um, again, a terrible, terrible. Project. I was going to say, could you bring up some good stuff? Okay. Um, uh, oh, because oh, there was also more crap where they actually redeemed Barusa in the eight Doctors as well. I've just remembered. Ugh. Fuck you, Darren Dix. Fuck you, <laughs> Fuck you. Maybe he was the force behind the special edition. Because <laughs> he keeps rewriting his own stuff. It's, it, we were talking... Multi-Doctor stories just don't work. With one exception. Uh, the, the Three Doctors wasn't really a multi-Doctor story. It was two Doctors. And I'm talking sort of like three or more. The Five Doctors was a run around. The Two Doctors was two Doctors again. So that's okay. But you've got Sirens of Time, which was the first big finish audio, which had three Doctors in. That's kept them apart as much as they could, then just sort of brought them together so they could spout technobabble at each other. So Grace was a disaster. Ugh. It was really the, the recent light at the end, which is a five doctor story. Uh, big finish. Don't, which has worked incredibly well. Don't and spoil, the I'm only half through doctors it. Doctors come together and they uh, quadru- uh, no, quintuple team Charlie is superb. <laughs> I'm, I'm half through uh, light at the end and right now, and I think it's wonderful. So... So I might as well go ahead and ask this, since <clears throat> the general consensus, well, since Stephen's consensus that uh, the idea of multiple Doctor stories really don't work, what do we think, uh, or what are our thoughts about how this is going to work into the uh, 50th anniversary, where we're going to have multiple Doctors there? Does anyone have any ideas for any hopes for that? Uh, I just hope it'll be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all I'm bothered about. <laughs> Just want to watch it already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get on with it. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I'm watching, looking at these pages, it's all 13 days, five hours, whatever, until the broadcast. I'm going, yeah, not for me. I'm going to have to wait another couple of days. So, as far as I'm concerned, it can, it can be really, really crap, and then I uh, won't be disappointed by it. So though, it. It's just two guys in suits. Or is one. it? Well, be hurt. don't forget John Hurt. Yeah, but I'm sorry. They say he's a doctor. I don't believe him. It's, from the trailer, sure looks like he played a big role in it. 
that there was okay. this sort of big captiony thing popping up saying John Hurt as the Doctor. I don't do kind of a hint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't do trailers. Well, that wasn't the trailer. That was no. The that was in the previous yeah. episode. Right. Yeah. To well, introducing John Hurt as the Doctor. Yeah. I've actually got a confession to make. I never finished the last season. <laughs> oh, well. I, I never finished. I got I got kind of bored and kind of never had the impetuous to finish those last four episodes I had. I don't blame you. I, I totally yeah. feel you. You missed out on a couple of great ones. The yeah. Mark Gates one was just brilliant. Which one was that's that? Awesome. That's the one with Dinah Rigg. Oh, and, yeah. And Which one was that? Square Gang up in Yorkshire. The crimson something. Yeah, where Clara gets to meet another Avenger. Yeah, wasn't my what? favorite. See, was she not in the Avengers? And oh, those Avengers, yes. Yes, and Clara <laughs> met Captain America. <laughs> See, Captain America. For a second, I thought you were talking about Sorry. her rocket rocking it with uh, with John Steed, and I'm like, that I'm down for. <laughs> Um, they could recast it with her, as long as no one ever mentions the Emma P- uh, the Uma Thurman one. Ray Fiennes was great as John Peel. It's not their fault they decided to replace Nicole Kidman with. Uh, it might be great as John Peel, but as John Steed, he was crap. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ray Fiennes was great as John Steed. He was but, but, fine as Steed. Ray it Fiennes was Uma Thurman that was the problem. Like Radio One, superb. I thought the story was the problem with that. Yeah, everything about that was terrible. So the trailer was good, but the story was awful. I um, it, it, Going back to the Day of the Doctor, to answer your question, Sean, I'm worried about it being more spectacle than story. Mm-hmm. Aren't you kind of expecting that, though? I mean... No. If I want to... If, uh, David Tennant is one of my favorite doctors. If he's going to be back in the suit, by golly, I want to see a great story. Have you not seen that quote from Stephen Moffat today that Matt Smith and David Tennant went back to him after filming this and said, look, we'll stay for another year if I do three episodes, Matt does three episodes and we do three together. No way. <laughs> That's hmm. what they said. And <laughs> Moffat apparently said, no. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that, that was, it's just sort of turned around. Um, yeah, sorry, Mr. Capaldi. Um, he's in the <laughs> for a year. You, you don't need any other work, do you? Don't commit yourself to anything. We'll, we'll get back to you. <laughs> you could um, film him as well at the same time. They could have two different TARDIS sets. They, uh, sorry for that you haven't seen the trailer, but there was a clip showing Tennant in the Tennant TARDIS. Yes. So... Uh, I believe that uh, even though it seems to be, have been blown up in the uh, gaming episode, sorry, the good gaming episode. Yeah, he uh, jettisoned uh, Tennant's TARDIS, didn't he, in that one? Yeah, the, the desktop theme. Yeah. But um, obviously Tennant would have a TARDIS, because bear in mind that he wouldn't regenerate at that point, because he's Tennant, clearly. But <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got Rose with him, too, so it's clearly earlier in his timeline. So. Or has he? Dun-dun-dun-dun. Well, this will this will all be fascinating once we've watched the 50th anniversary episode. And yeah, and when, when the list is here, it's six weeks after the uh, episode's come out. <laughs> yeah, it'll make so much sense. Our to point of speculation will be, be even more irrelevant. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, we're probably going to do a uh, a chat about the uh, 50th, you know, after that. Probably, I think we're going to do it like the week after so everyone has a chance to watch it and digest it and figure out what they feel about it. But uh, do we have any last words on this uh, 20th anniversary? 
Yes. Uh, on the commentary, Peter Dervison, Peter Dervis, Terence Dick says it's a pantomime, but it's a fun pantomime. I'm, I'm down with that. I thought I quite enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kept me engaged for 90 minutes. It, it's there. I can see a lot of the flaws, especially as, as Andy said, now that I've listened to the commentary, like I see a lot more, but I enjoyed it so much as a kid. I mean, as an 11 year old, it was a blast. And so to this day, I still really enjoy it. Somebody needed to find that annoying guy with that soccer horn, that Vuvuzulus. <laughs> I believe it's Pass Volva. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I can't blow like, into that, though. You're just not doing it right. <sighs> We're off the rail, Sean. Sorry. That's okay. Every episode ends like this. Every huh? episode. <laughs> Every episode ends with me discussing. Um, ha- anyway, anytime we can get Stephen to generate smut for some reason, <laughs> or Stephen discusses this. What was it, Mister Chili Wuggy singing back? I'm thinking I'm singing bang bang diggy diggy bing. What? <laughs> the name tattooed what? on your, your uh, penis. <laughs> your penis. Penis. Yes, that my, yes. uh, my eight inch Mac is resting on. <laughs> Could we cut the episode before penises come up? No, we're oh. cutting it now. <laughs> Thank you. I do not wish you to cut a penis that comes up. No. <laughs> I, I, am, I am the moil of two true freaks, and we're cutting this right now. Thanks, you get a everyone. Great tip for doing that too. For listening to this episode of Who True Freaks, come back next time where there'll be more talk about penises. And an Asian child. Three <laughs> <laughs> <Adrian> penis. <laughs> Bring it to me. <laughs> and. And. Doctor You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our brand new website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for 2TrueFreaks. 
And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.